Welcome back to Beyond the Veil. Today we're discussing Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 8, The Potions Master. I am Rebecca, and I am your host. I am Madison, and I am your host. Alright, so, Potions Master means that obviously yep. our summary is going to be Fuck Snape. Fuck Snape. That's it, we're done. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all. <laughs> Alright, have a good week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. Um, but in addition to Snape, we have a lot of fun stuff in this chapter. Mysteries. That's true. Kids are starting to whisper and talk about Harry. And he's mm-hmm. just like, I need to find where I'm going because this school doesn't make any sense. There are stairways <laughs> to nowhere. This door isn't even a real door. The paintings are just going wherever they want. It's just a ridiculous situation to throw children into and tell them well find your class good luck i got lost in my high school and it was like four hallways like it's impressive that these kids get to class as soon as they do i would just be like two weeks late to every class right it's it's like college campus size for 11 year olds don't don't need that that's a lot did you ever watch monsters university Yes. Do you know the character who's like super, super slow and at the end of the movie he gets in and he's like, all right, ready for my first day of class. And he missed the entire school year. Yes. That would be me in Hogwarts. <laughs> uh, how many staircases and that you get tricked going to and from class? I mean, I don't have words for how. Did you know that Hogwarts literally has 142 staircases? Like that's a canon thing. That's. 142. Too many. <laughs> and some of them that's go like, to nowhere. That's 141 too many. <laughs> this is the least okay. accessible school I've ever heard of. How many elevators does Hogwarts have? Right? Like, I can't do stairs. Like, I would pass out. We need better accessibility. We need... Okay, you know what could be kind of fun, though? Is you know those um, motorized stair chair thingies yeah chairlifts yeah chairlifts thank you um chairlifts but going up all of the staircases at hogwarts yes 142 stairs <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect yeah i mean if you're gonna have that many staircases you gotta you gotta prepare for to everybody be, who can come they have to be magical though because like electricity and stuff doesn't work at hogwarts Right. I you could I feel like a You could definitely uh, put some charms on that. It'd be fine. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Flitwick, get on it. I just want like a magic carpet to just take me to my class. Oh my god. It'd be so comfy. I want a magic carpet with like a picnic. What if it was like a magic beanbag chair you just sat in? Oh yes. Or okay. You remember those chairs that were like inflatable? Yes. Give me something like that where it can be filled with like rainbow smoke and it can float or it's filled with helium. Do you know how squeaky a room full of 11 year olds (laughs) on inflatable chairs would be? Oh, the squeakiest. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) We meet teachers. We see Hogwarts. um, We get a little bit of that mystery. What about that grubby little package from Vault 713? What's... Is that here? What's happening? Because we're still going off of that very subtle foreshadowing about anything related to green gods. Of oh, yes. Only you'd have to be mad to rob green gods. 
I can't believe somebody stole from Green Gods. Did you know that you can't steal from them? They're like, <gasps> except <gasps> someone tried. Did. But that's someone. probably that can't possibly be relevant, right? Like, there's no way. No, no. The audacity. <laughs> <laughs> Patronus fuel is something we love from the text and why. And I was very excited to meet Professors Flitwick and uh, McGonagall, uh, Sinistra. I don't know if we meet Sprout or not, but we are basically being like welcomed into the full uh, teaching roster for Hogwarts. And I want, I, I want to. A situation for Harry where he just gets to, like, go to Hogwarts, no Voldemort drama, no Snape drama. He's just, like, learning from McGonagall and Sprout and Flitwick, and we're seeing him have a good time. And anytime we're in one of these classes, even if there's other drama happening, brings me so much joy because so many of these teachers are great. I just want to include that we did meet Sprout, and we referred to her as, I quote, a dumpy little witch called Professor (sighs) Sprout. Like... She's just so much more than that. Can <laughs> not to rain on your Patronus here. Uh, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Professor Sprout is great. Professor Flitwick is great. Conigal, and then Hermione. Sprout like saves so many people. <laughs> right. Like she's responsible for like children being unpetrified and stuff. Without those Conigal mandrakes. Dumpy. Right? Chamber of Secrets would have been a train wreck. Exactly. Also, I love when Hermione successfully transformed a matchstick into a needle and got a rare smile from McGonagall because it made me feel like a good student who successfully uh, solved a math problem or something and gave me happy student memories. So... Um, but yes, I love Hermione, and I love her getting the smile, and I love her being recognized, and I love that McGonagall's the one that does it, because McGonagall is amazing, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's a good scene. Uh, so my Patronus Fuel is, um, a Hagrid taking time to write a little note to Harry, and he, like, he puts in it, like, I know that you have Friday afternoons free, which is so cute, because he, like... He takes the time to, like, look in and see, like, okay, it looks like he might have time. Like, I'll invite him now and just say, like, and he gives him just the opportunity to come out if he would like to. It's just the most, like, kind way to, like, ask someone if they want to come over and talk about how their week's going. And it's just, he puts so much thought into it, but it's, like, it's almost like he doesn't even. It's just, like, like, yeah, that's Hagrid. Of course he super sweet and like looked at Harry's schedule first and said like Mm -hmm. it's just so considerate and it's just like so expected of Hagrid which is amazing because Hagrid's a meat thing yes yes and I love that Ron goes with him and they get to like talk about Ron's family and they just get to like hang out a little bit and I think that the entire scene was just a way of the author to bring up Gringotts again but I don't care because it's a really good scene. <laughs> it is. Hagrid meeting Ron is a really precious moment. Because we we get like a lot in the train ride of Ron talking about how like he's nervous that like his siblings are going to overshadow him or something. And so it's nice to see Hagrid being like, oh, like it's really good to see you. I love being with your brothers. But it's not just like 
your brothers were so cool. Like you have a, like you got big shoes to fill or anything like that. <laughs> it's very like, oh, like I really loved your family. You were great to have some rock cakes and hang out with my dog while he licks your face. Like what a good time, even if the rock cakes aren't good, but still. Right. So it's thought, thought that, that counts. counts. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it comes to baking. Like, yeah. It's such a labor of love to bake something for somebody. And the fact that Hagrid's not good at it, but they do it anyway, is just yes. very... It's very wholesome. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. All right, so next we have Enchantingly Nasty. So these are our less appreciated moments from the chapter. <laughs> and considering the title of this chapter, I think... It's pretty clear where we're going to go here. <laughs> oh, yes. Snape is really abusive and terrible. And I think I think it's kind of lazy writing to have this... You don't have to make a character abusive and horrible and cruel to make them complex. Um, and I love the... The the metaphor you came up with, the Mr. Darcy Snape. Yes. That's so you, perfect. Yeah. Well, so like what you were thinking was that you can have a complex character and have like it be impactful that he was double agent stuff um, without it being just cruel and abusive. And it just reminded me of like how we see like Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice where our first introduction is like, wow, I hate him. Wow, he sucks. Like, ugh, what a what a douchebag mm-hmm. but like by the end of it for some reason <laughs> we're just like oh my god i love mr darcy <laughs> <laughs> which and it's not necessarily that like we're just supposed to love him because like all of a sudden mr darcy is like oh i love you elizabeth and you're just like okay well sure but why but he, he genuinely opens up and you genuinely see like emotions from him that are not so selfish yeah um and you really get like a more meaningful understanding of the complexities of mr darcy um whereas with snape i don't feel like any of those complexities were built it was just like let's make him really awful so it'll be a big shock when it turns out he's good but you can't just say someone turns out good and that makes them good like if somebody spent years belittling children like harassing them trying to like injure their pets trying to like mess with their houses trying to get them kicked out of school like that's not complexities that's just abuse and it's just being a shitty person yeah that is the opposite of gray that is like it's not a gray area no very it's very clear i think and i just think about like this cold and brooding snape right and sorcerer stone who like, is kind of a little bit aloof and mean enough that they wonder, like, what if it's Snape? Like, he's kind of weird and mysterious. And then at the end, like, Dumbledore comes up with the same excuse, like, oh, well, no, like, it's not that he dislikes you or anything. He just, you know, your dad saved his life. And then opens up to Chamber of Secrets when Harry speaks Parseltongue in front of Snape. What if there's an opportunity for Snape to, like, have a connection with Harry because he's actually concerned. Like, hello, you're speaking parcel tongue. I want to know more about that because I was a Death Eater and I just want to check in. And then you get to Prisoner of Azkaban and then you have a Snape who 
will have a much more um, rich and interesting relationship with Lupin if he has, you know, changed a little bit. And and then, you know, Voldemort returns in Goblet of Fire and then Snape has kind of, you know, grown to building a positive relationship with Harry. But then, oh shit, I have to be a double agent. So how am I supposed to manage this relationship with this child and serve as a double agent in the war where I'm supposed to pretend like I want this kid dead? You know, there's... How much more interesting would that have been to read about than just la 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 Like, <laughs> no. No. It's just, it feels kind of lazy to me. Yeah. It's just so, it, it feels like, well, this is a kid's book. I can just tell them that this is what the character's like and that they got to take my word for it because I'm the author. Like, that's mm-hmm. not how writing books works. No. Like, it has to be believable without you saying it to us straight up. Like, it has to be something that's understandable. And, like, you see all this, like, stupid foreshadowing that she does with, like, the turban and that she does with Green Gods. And it's, like, obviously you know that foreshadowing is a device that you can use. Right. So why are you not putting in any hints that Snape might be a good person if you want us to believe in the end that he's a good person? Besides, like, the ridiculous headcanon about flower language, like, powdered root of asphodel to blah, 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 as if... Like, in flower, Victorian flower language or whatever, that's supposed to mean, like, I am so sorry about the death of your mother, Lily. Well, whether or not that was the author's intention, if he meant that, he should have fucking said that. Agreed. So. I I do love the idea that she spent, like, time doing that, but not time, like, actually putting in anything that anybody would understand. (laughs) Like, I think that's hilarious, and I do actually love that headcanon just for that reason, because I'm just like, this is a trip. Like, because <laughs> it, it, it lines up in, like, s- several different places, and so I'm just like, what if she genuinely was just sitting here learning Victorian flower language for this reason? And then it it's not, there's no return on investment there. Like, <laughs> Nothing. Like, what is the point? And that's how I love it for that reason. <laughs> just because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> right. Yeah. He just goes to too many and he's too extreme and bad. And I like it. Yeah. Because he can't. He literally, in this chapter, calls Neville an idiot child. Or... Yeah, I think it's just idiot child is what he calls him. For, like, putting the an ingredient in a little bit too early. Which is wild because it's their first week of class like Neville's literally never made a potion before and you're screaming at him that he's an idiot while he's covered in like boils and needs to go to the hospital wing mm-hmm. it's just messed up it's totally messed up and in our Accio fandom segment uh, we feature different fan creations um, we get even more into Snape being a toot so Megalnet, there is an article called Five Reasons Why I'll Never Call Snape a Hero. And I love this because, like, I've had, like, several times where I've tried to be, like, less biased against Snape because I know that I am very biased against Snape. Um, and I've tried to be, like, well, maybe I'm just, like, going... Like, maybe I'm just, like, not wanting to see, like, any redemption arc there. Um, but I love that this article, it goes over several things, like... Um, like the reasoning of what 
Snape does and mm-hmm. why he does it. And it's it really goes over the fact that like even even if these things were meant to be like a redemption arc, they're not based in goodness. It's not based in like kindness or love. It's just it's very it it's all based on on things that are supposed to like make him feel better about things and like I'm all for like some self-care and stuff but if um your way of self-care is to belittle students then maybe find another path (laughs) (laughs) thanks goodbye (laughs) Bye. (laughs) um so yeah I I like that article just because it, it it goes a little bit deeper into some of the reasoning and it explains that yes he did the things he did because of love and guilt but um love and guilt don't excuse the things that he did it doesn't excuse you know being a major part of why harry's parents are dead it doesn't excuse becoming a death eater it doesn't excuse using um slurs against people and it it just doesn't excuse enough for for me to see anything with snape as a redemption arc absolutely it's nice to see the things that he does just that sometimes it's just nice to read like yes this is why what he does is wrong here it is laid out because because there is so there are so many layers with snape of uh why you know is he doing this for a good reason is he doing this for a bad reason what are his real motivations that you can get like swept up in the moment of like what is he why is he doing each thing at each particular moment and it's just a nice reminder of that overall yes maybe one moment or another he has shifting motivations but overall this is what the picture of his character arc looks like and it looks like garbage so yeah it is garbage he is garbage stink (laughs) stink stunk (laughs) all right Our next segment is Department of Social Justice. So, in this chapter, we've got quite a... We've got a few things that need to be addressed, I think. So, we talked a little bit about it, I think, last week. Mm -hmm. Um, But, Coral wears a turban. Mm -hmm. And last chapter, it was referred to as ridiculous, I think, was the word that that she chose. Yeah. Um, Without any reason for it to be ridiculous. Um, but in this chapter, we learn that Quirrell wears it because um, it was gifted to him by an African prince, which is a very odd story, and it's an odd story on purpose because the kids don't believe it and they start gossiping about it, because apparently it's just cool to have kids gossip about turbans now. Um, but that also, to me, it, it sounded like, because I doubt that he just showed up and was just like, I guess you're all wondering about my turban. <laughs> Um, it sounds like the kids asked him about it, which is not a good look. Um, but either way, it just, it doesn't make sense to me because there's so many weird hats in the wizarding world. I mean, like, think about the one that Boggart Snape wears with the, Mm -hmm. like, freaking bird on it. Like, there's all kinds of weird hats that you can choose. So why, rather than choosing just a strange, suspicious hat, why did you choose a turban? It's it's very intentional, I think, mm-hmm. that she thought, like, what's something 
that's suspicious looking for a man to wear and she chose a turban yeah which is something that it's it's deeply related to faith and cultures and it's something that should be respected because it, it's supposed to be i mean it it's not supposed to, it, it is something that needs to be respected it's it's a religious garment or it's a cultural garment and to just refer to it as being something that was given to him as a gift and has a weird funny smell um as something to kind of get us suspicious about it is it just is so uncomfortable yeah there's no consistency with how it's presented because there could be the like okay children need to learn about other cultures let's you know like let's frame this as the kids think it was weird and then they learn and they have a moment of growth and understanding about something that they didn't before it's never it never even comes close to being like that it's just like the nope it, this is ridiculous and in this scene it smells funny like it, there's it's always a joke that's being made of it and there's never i feel like it's just not handled with any degree of responsibility or like you said respect of what the importance of the garment like i i am glad that she didn't say because like obviously his his explanation of it being gifted to him by a prince is supposed to be a little absurd and mm-hmm. if he was going to give a more um a more believable excuse that he could just say that like because i mean it, it was while he was traveling so he could just say that while traveling through these different cultures he um connected with one of those faiths and he you know like that's why he was wearing it, it was because it was his faith and his culture or something but she didn't do that and on one hand i'm very glad because if she had a character lie about their faith as an excuse to wear a turban that would be really gross yeah but on the other hand like the fact that you need to come up with it being gifted to him by an african prince while he was fighting off a zombie like the fact that you have to do such an odd stretch is just like why not just say that he was wearing a weird hat (laughs) like why not just give him like some dumb little hat to wear why give him a turban give him there, think of the, the room for imagination here where instead of using like just picking and snatching something up from a culture that you don't belong to, you instead invent something like he's wearing a hat with quintiped fur, you know, something yeah. from the world that you created so that, you know, there's no um, regardless of intent, you know, it's not always it's usually not about intent. It's about impact so that you avoid the potential of having a negative impact on this culture that you are so haphazardly representing and instead like stick to your own business and make a hat of friggin i don't know <laughs> niffler fur but don't do that but don't, you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> you know what would have been like more like genuinely suspicious would just be if he was just wearing his hood mm-hmm because, like, they all wear cloaks, and a lot of cloaks just have hoods on them. Yeah. And if he's just wearing his hood, then, like, on one hand, we could connect it to him being, like, possibly Death Eater-related, because Death Eaters are all freaking KKK members, <laughs> and <laughs> people, like, wearing hoods inside, it's just like, well, why is he wearing, why does he have his hood on? Like, well, that's interesting. Whereas, why does he have a turban on is not something that I think, like, ooh, why is he wearing a turban? Like, that's yeah. not my first thought. Mm. And it just feels like it's meant to be a joke, and I don't think it's a very funny joke no it's not appreciated in any way there are 
so many problems in these books. Like, so many of them wouldn't exist if there was just a, a dash more of creative creativity and imagination put into how you can and research. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> that one goes many miles deep with all of the. <laughs> Uh, more recent wizarding world creations Um, but we're not going to talk about those so when we're talking about like not planning things out enough i think a lot about hogwarts and how dumbledore hired snape who is a retired reformed whatever death eater (laughs) somebody with Uh, an extremely violent history uh, and a deep, deep prejudice against Muggleborns. And as far as we know, he is being allowed to teach children without any kind of additional anti-bias training or certificate saying, I graduated from my, (laughs) you know, uh, getting rid of my prejudice workshop certificate. Nothing, like, he's just allowed to go in and teach kids when literally 11 years ago he was a murderer he was a death eater what like did i don't know did we miss the let's not let that happen (laughs) meeting I, i just i'm a little flabbergasted like as an adult thinking about this and thinking about like if you actually knew about somebody's like violent and prejudicial past and then put them into a classroom without you know getting them getting them some kind of changing at all i mean the thought of even putting them in the classroom at all is pretty like ugh. Um, yeah but i'm 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 guessing that there is nothing that changed and nothing that happened but this is some not great school uh this this school policy is unacceptable to me yeah well it seems like the teachers are selected for being good at the subjects that they teach and not for being good at being teachers Mm -hmm. which is not how any other school in the world would work (laughs) (laughs) normally teachers need to have like degrees in education and like you know experience with some sort of teaching like either like being substitutes or being like you know some sort of like training situation like that's not a thing here we just like pick people up that are pretending to be armchairs and tell them hey come teach at my school and like yes Leghorn had like teaching experience but still you can't just pick random people up and say come teach at my school nobody else wants to do it (laughs) (laughs) right Like, with all of the students who graduate from Hogwarts, and with how few Wizarding World jobs there seem to be, surely there are some people out there who have, like, wanted to put effort into learning how to be a good teacher. And yet, we have Snape teaching, who has never shown any interest in children. Or any interest in actually educating the children. Mm-mm. He just wants to be like, I know all of this, and if you guys aren't a bunch of dingbats or something, I don't remember what yeah. he calls them, if you guys aren't a bunch of idiots, basically, then you can learn it too. But otherwise, I don't really care. And like, <laughs> yeah. 
That's not how you teach 11-year-old children. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how you teach any children. It makes no sense. He's such a ridiculous character to be a teacher. Yeah, he absolutely is. And I was doing a little bit of reading because he is such a... It feels weird to say that a teacher bullies a student um, because that feels like... I don't know. I I don't want to take away the... um, the impact, the greater impact that potentially being abused by a an adult and someone in a position of power, you know, that that's different than being bullied by somebody who's your age or close to your age. Um, but it, it does kind of, like, in, in what I've read, bullying is kind of what it's called, uh, bullying by teachers. And um, I read this article, and it defines teacher bullying as... A pattern of conduct rooted in a power differential that threatens, harms, humiliates, induces fear in, or causes students substantial emotional stress. A lot of, like, this is something that happens in schools, you know, across the world today. This isn't just Snape. Like, there are, unfortunately, teachers who actively do this to students, um, and it's shitty. And some of the ways that bullying by teachers happens um it is like they rationalize it so they rationalize well this is why i need to act this way becomes normalized by students and students just expect there are going to be some teachers that are cruel and that's just life Um, minimized or ignored by colleagues who remain silent Um, it's enabled when school systems don't do anything to stop it and Um, A lot of times people who are outside of the situation can't detect it. Some of the things that, like the generalizations that you can make around these patterns uh, really line up with some of the stuff that Snape does. So bullying behavior often involves the public humiliation of targets. That's true. Um, There's typically a high degree of agreement among students and colleagues on which teachers engage in bullying behavior. Everybody knows (laughs) that Snape is a jerk. Um, teachers often bully in their own classrooms where students witness the behavior, but other teachers don't. This is true. And in in Prisoner of Azkaban, it's interesting how Harry notices when Snape is mean to Neville in front of Lupin. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, like the Harry knew, oh, wow, he's being cruel in front of Lupin. So this is really serious. Teachers are perceived to bully with impunity and are seldom held accountable for their conduct. And schools generally lack a means of redress for students or their parents who register complaints against a teacher who has been perceived to bully. And this all, I mean, this is, I feel like this is a textbook. Snape is a textbook example of this stuff. I mean, literally every single one of those. Yeah. It's very true of Snape. So I wanted to go through, because this article also offers some solutions and, um, potential like first steps not not they're not solutions they're first steps to like start to provide a way to potentially address this behavior so schools can write and adjust their bullying policies to explicitly address the conduct of both students and staff and teacher conduct should be identified in the school's code of ethics um 
use in-service time to discuss appropriate and inappropriate teacher behavior, especially in the context of disciplining students, uh, establishing a means to address complaints about alleged bullying by a teacher, the right to redress a process by which grievances can be heard and settled is a basic civil right and is really telling that this isn't something that really exists for students right now. Um, track formal and informal complaints, including student comments on course evaluation forms. Allegations of bullying should be included in annual evaluations. Why is this not a thing <laughs> already? Um, and then sanctions for bullying should not be limited to counseling. Um, there is an attorney who has developed a, a model school policy that includes a statement of standards and protections to address abuses of educational authority. It, it's nice to see somebody like actually <laughs> looking through this stuff and potential solutions. And I hope that uh, the current headmasters of Hogwarts will take a look at that list because... Because I don't even think Hogwarts has a code of ethics. I've never seen one. Let <laughs> alone would teacher conduct be identified in it. Literally, you could just turn your students into ferrets and be just get away with it. Yeah. Like, sure, he deserved it, but, like, you can't just do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, that is not the, that is the job of one student to another, like, honestly. The fact that a Death Eater masqueraded as a teacher and was able to get through the entire year without being reprimanded shows the how little Hogwarts cares about what their teachers do. <laughs> Dumbledore's he reaction was literally was like, doing, He did all three unforgivable curses on day one. <laughs> uh, and in the end there, Dumbledore's just like, ah, yes, I've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that's, and that's it. That's, that's it. Also, there is something in that um, list, though, about steps to prevent teacher bullying about um, course evaluation forms. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because that's something that we did when I was in college. Yeah. And I know, I'm pretty sure my sister did it in college as well. But I don't think it's something that's done in public schools. Mm -mm. And I know that, like, obviously teachers have, like, unions and things in most cases that, like, protect them from a lot of stuff. But still, there should be some way of, like, keeping track of how many um, allegations and complaints go against a teacher. Yeah. Because... Like, obviously, like, yeah, if, if the teacher just gets, like, one or two students saying, like, they're too, they grade too hard, or I didn't like him, then, like, it's not, you know, obviously don't fire a teacher over that. Mm -hmm. But by doing course evaluation forms, you would be able to, like, track, like, patterns in that. Yeah. And you would be able to, like, prevent teachers from causing, like, lifelong harm to children. <laughs> and... It just seems like public schools are like, well, we're not going to have time to look through those, so we just aren't going to do that. Right. Which is very sad. It's, I understand the need to protect teachers. Like, that is clear. It's just that, like, teachers are in a position of power over their students, and those rotten apples, like, freaking ruining the bunch for everybody else. Let's weed them out. Because, like, good teachers don't want to work with bad teachers either no and the good teachers know who the bad teachers are yeah exactly because then the good teachers are the ones that are having to sit down with those kids and say like tell them it's okay and 
they're the ones who are having to explain, like, whenever the kid's just like, why does he teach her? Why does this guy, like, say these things to me and try to kill my toad? Yeah. <laughs> and so then it's up to, like, these other poor teachers who haven't, who have done nothing but try and, like, teach and help children to explain why some man who was a Death Eater was allowed to walk in and just start teaching and harassing children. And, like, there's no way to explain that other than, like, well, trust Dumbledore. <laughs> Which, like, we've been given no reason to trust him yet. We don't know him. <laughs> he's just on a, he's on a chocolate frog card and therefore must know what he's doing. Like, I mean, Hagrid said that he's a great wizard, so, like, that gives <laughs> him some sort of status. Because, like, obviously Hagrid's great and is right about everything. Hagrid's word is law. Exactly. But, like, at the same time, we need a little more to work with. (laughs) (laughs) Right. To continue our ranting about teachers abusing their power, we will go into Chocolate with Madame Pomfrey, where we discuss mental health care and mental health and all of the implications that these things have for ourselves and for readers. And like we say, you know, like, you're saying there are real-life, long-term consequences to, like, chronic abuse by teachers. Um, being publicly humiliated, like, which is generally what these people who are abusing their power in these situations will inflict on students, like, these feelings, like, being humiliated over and over again, you can develop more anxiety, depression, um, you can abandon your interests and stop pursuing your goals and long-term may suffer from really low self-esteem and all kinds of problems. These are like, this is very serious. There's really serious consequences to this. I think Neville is like the perfect example of that Mm -hmm. because Harry's obviously like a very snarky kid. He's very resistant to listening to Snape Um, but Neville didn't have that confidence going in because he's always had issues with his family, not thinking he's magical enough already. Um, so he already didn't, he didn't have people thinking he was going to do great things. Um, like Harry did. Mm -hmm. And so for Neville to come into these classes and be yelled at and be called an idiot, um, to be humiliated while he's literally been injured by something that he didn't do right because, I mean, he wasn't... Yeah, he he messed up a potion, but, like, it's the teacher's responsibility to make sure that you're watching kids do these things. Like, if you're a chemistry teacher, you're not going (laughs) to give kids a bunch of chemicals and say, do it right or else. Like... (laughs) (laughs) It was his first day. Of course somebody made a mistake. Like, it is your responsibility to make sure that you are able to watch these kids and make sure that they are doing this right. And instead, he turns around and yells at Harry for letting him do it, which is such a projection mm. because it's that's entirely Snape's job. Yeah. I mean, Snape's literally getting paid for it. Like, that's that's his job. That's mm-hmm. like when your boss comes in and yells at you for doing something that they should have done. Like, not oh doing something gosh. they should have done. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. With Neville, Snape literally becomes his boggart, which is his worst fear it's like your bogger is something like with miss weasley it was her her family dying like it's it's a very 
serious, like, deeply seated fear. Yeah. And for it to be your teacher is, like, so sad. Mm -hmm. Like, the second the Dumbledore heard that this kid's bogger was Snape, he should have gotten Snape out of that school. Yeah. Like, that's horrifying. And let's let's jump to a lighter mental health topic. Yes. Cats. Cats. <laughs> this is a much lighter and a very happy thing. Yes. <laughs> is cats. Cats are great. They are cute. Um, they are cuddly. They are mischievous. And they, are they can be service animals. Yes. They can be service animals. They can be emotional support animals. They can be just wonderful little creatures who purr and give you serotonin uh-huh. like they're amazing and mrs norris is not respected but she should be because she is incredible <laughs> uh she she is like doing the job of a human also i love that her name is mrs norris <laughs> right <laughs> like i just i really have always loved like cats that have titles like my mom had a cat named Miss Kitty, oh. and I think that that's just, it's great. I just, it's very formal, and I think that cats deserve formal names. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a little bit red wall. Like, this is the, the abbot, like the cat abbot or something. Yeah. So, we talked about Mrs. Norris in this regard of being um, Filch's service animal slash familiar. And the fact that there's some overlap there, which is super cool. Um, Because familiars have been part of magical folklore since, like, centuries ago. Like, familiars are are very ingrained in magical culture. And in the Harry Potter series, we don't ever actually, like, call any of the animals familiars. But, like, Hedwig is very clearly a familiar for Mm. Harry. Mm -hmm. Like, Hedwig is very connected to him um she can like understand what he wants from her and her death is used as a way to represent um the end of harry's childhood which is very sad and i hated it but like the fact that it was used in that way just goes to show how important um she was meant to be for harry um but mrs norris is super cool because filch has and I don't think we get there quite yet, but we find out later that Filch is not necessarily um, super magical, but he's still in the magical world, and so I love the fact that he would have kind of a guide for him mm-hmm. to kind of help him get through it, especially since he's, you know, surrounded by kids who could do magic and trying to discipline kids who are doing magic. Like, can you imagine just having to discipline a child who could literally like just light your head on fire light like, your head on fire turn yeah. you into a frog like like it's so it's such a difficult job and so i i love the fact that he has um that like magical aspect of having mrs norris be like um a third eye for him and i love like the, their connection of where he like really understands everything that she's kind of thinking and that she understands everything that he's thinking. Like, they're very, very, very connected to each other. And, it, and it's very similar to service animals and emotional support animals. And it's also very obviously similar to being a familiar. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm obsessed with familiars being service animals. 
yeah. I mean, there is a, you know, service animals help people with like different disabilities get through the world. And that is like exactly what Mrs. Norris is helping Filch with here. And in many ways, the role of a familiar is similar. And you have this, like, maybe a familiar isn't always doing like a, like a specific job in the same way a service animal would do. Um, but it's more of like a, sometimes it feels like an emotional or even spiritual connection. And Mrs. Norris has got it all going. So She does. She like helps him as far as like actually doing his job of finding students and, and, you know, in a very literal sense, she guides him and helps him with that. Um, but she also seems to kind of give him, um, a better connection to the magical world as far as like, like their connection is very, very magical. I think like, obviously you don't have like random old men just like understanding cats and <laughs> having that kind of like intuition where they just like can talk to each other almost. Right. So there's, there's some definite level of magic to it and it's very cool. And we're not going to talk about the fact that Hagrid said he wanted to kick Mrs. Norris because that's not real and it didn't happen. No, according to archaeological evidence, that is totally fabricated. So mm-hmm. it's false, and it's no longer going to be written in my book. We're no, tear it out. <laughs> in fact, Hagrid in this chapter is another lovely example of positive mental health experience for Harry. Yes, um, he's just the most perfect example of a support system for Harry um, from where Harry was of being raised without a single friend or without any like positive adult role model in his life to all of a sudden having a friend go with him to talk with Hagrid about how his week was going and talk about the teachers that he's having trouble with and have a snack and hang out with Hagrid's dog it's just such a beautiful like example of just having a support system and that's so important from where we were like a few weeks ago like looking at what Harry was dealing with to now see him being in this magical world and having people who want to talk to him about how his day is going is just awesome so good (laughs) we kind of talked about it but I think the idea of there are many different ways we can get mental health care and give you know support to each other and I, I just, I believe that baking and providing food for people is such a lovely, lovely thing that we can do. And while I would not eat Hagrid's rock cakes, I am very happy that he made them. <laughs> I am too. And I'm happy that they just like accepted the extra ones. They're like, okay, Hagrid, we'll take these with us. <laughs> it's just, it's so pure and it's so good. Shall we pensive yeah do you want to go first sure um so i hate snape because i was bullied by a lot of teachers growing up and it's absurd to think about the number of situations i was in that were like snape and harry or neville not exactly like snape and harry but you get the idea um, no parental beefs between my teachers and my parents, except the one time that my teachers, uh, 
<laughs> accidentally called my, my parents came in for a parent teacher conference and accidentally called my teacher, um, miss fartland like I did. Wow. Um, wow. It did not make things better for me, but it was a very funny incident. It seems very validating though. It, it, it truly was. <laughs> um, and seeing, I'm, I'm just very grateful for this dynamic with Snape because I was able to identify what a cruel teacher looks like at a really young age. So when my teachers were being cruel to me, I was able to go, that's Snape-ish. And you know what? I don't fuck with that. <laughs> um, and, you know, raised a lot of hell for some teachers who were really awful people. Um, and so this is like one of the first parts of the books that I can look at and say that it like tangibly changed my life for the better and gave me the tools to keep myself a little bit more safe than I would have otherwise been. So feeling grateful for this dynamic as fucked up as it is, uh, it did help me a lot and it's it's interesting to be grateful for that and still wish for something more complex at the same time. And, but I, you know, I accept the complexity of that relationship. I like the idea that maybe Harry helped give people the um, bravery to just like call their teachers idiots to their faces. Yeah. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> like, I just want some kid out there just being like, you know what? I know my mom said to, to turn the other cheek, but Harry... Harry said to Snape, there's no need to call me sir, mm -hmm. and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna channel that, and I'm gonna call out my teacher in front of everybody. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I do hope that there's, like, billions of children out there giving their abusive teachers shit because of mm -hmm. Harry, but I'm also... I'm confident they exist. Yes. I hope so. So for me, reading the chapter, just, like, very revalidated both obviously my hatred of Snape but also my love of Hagrid and it was very is interesting to see how like I, my, my opinions of that have not changed mm -hmm. I think that it's interesting because we're supposed to believe going through the series that um, Snape is redeemable and everything and just going back and rereading even just our introduction to Snape, it's just so clear to me that, like, these are not things that are redeemable. Yeah. Like, you never tried to connect to these children. You had no desire to actually work with these children. You're letting all of your personal feelings and stuff take a priority, and that's not what educating is about, and that's not what working with kids is about. And so it's just, it just revalidates the fact to me that I don't think that he was redeemed in the end, and I think that the idea that he's a gray area, as J.K. Rowling once said, is just utter bullshit, because it's just not a representation of how kids should be treated, and it doesn't explain why he's so selfish, mm -hmm. um, especially when you look at people like Hagrid, who are putting in the effort to like connect with these kids and say like, hey, come on down, tell me how your week went, tell me how your classes are going. Like, the contrast is so extreme. And Harry's not, or Hagrid's not even a teacher. Like, yeah. and the fact that he 
put that extra effort into like checking in with the kids. It it's wild to me that Snape has put no effort into even attempting to, to connect with these kids, and he's literally interacting with them every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also reminded me of um, something I'd forgotten, which was all the press that was out um, before Half Blood Prince came out of when everyone was like trying to decide is Snape good or evil. And that was like a whole thing that everyone was like obsessed with is like, is he, is he good or bad? And to me, it it didn't make sense because there's nothing that they could have said in those last few books that would have made what Snape did okay. Mm -mm. And there's absolutely nothing that would excuse it short of him having like a traumatic brain injury and being like actual Phineas Gage and had like a, like Phineas Gage, it was, a, it was a train spike thing, went through his brain Ooh. and like completely altered it's a whole psychological study thing, basically Phineas Gage is a guy who had this metal object just like stab into his brain and he survived it, um, however it caused obviously a very massive traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. which um, completely changed his behavior, it drove away everybody um, that he cared about it just turned him into this like very mean, very cruel person so, short of having an actual metal rod go through your brain, there's no excuse <laughs> for behaving the way that Snape did. <laughs> right. It's, oh my god. That's, it sounds extreme, but it's so, it's so true. <laughs> like, my agreement with you is painfully true right now. It's painfully strong. It's interesting how when you look back at something and feel reaffirmed in your opinions about it like you can go and you can try to have like a quote like open mind about a character but going back and just saying nope my instinct was right about this person this person was bad it's it's sad that that person is bad but it's nice to be able to reinforce you know your ability to make judgments about characters so All right. Thank you all for listening. And you can join us next week to discuss Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. We are Beyond the Veil Pod. And on Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. And the chapter says that there are hams and pheasants hanging (laughs) from Hagrid's ceiling. And I just just want a more clear picture of what that means. (laughs) Like, are they? Don't you have hams hanging from your ceiling? <laughs> they were a feature because we do. <laughs> it came with the apartment. Yeah, the cats love it. <laughs> like, are these like? Is this like cured ham that's been you know uh, treated with salt so that it's going to last a long time? Like, you could shave it off and it's prosciutto. Is it? Are these just ham bones hanging from the ceiling? If so, why are we calling them ham? Because that feels vague. It's just like a curtain of ham steaks. <laughs> oh my god. You know, like those beaded curtains from the 90s. It's just that, but made out of Canadian bacon. <laughs> Lady Gaga's meat dress <laughs> hanging from the ceiling of Hagrid's <laughs> Okay. Well, how else are you going to know that he's a manly man? <laughs> I mean, meat. He's not, but <laughs> J.K. Rowling really wants you to think so. Because obviously, if we're going to talk about 
a man being sensitive, we have to also talk about how he has <laughs> a big, a big dog and has ham hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> meat. All right. So that was our conversation about meat, <laughs> gender. <laughs> Join us next week for another <laughs> riveting conversation about meat and gender. <laughs> That's our new segment. <laughs>